Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Welcome to this model of efficiency that we call Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm glad all of you decided to join us this time. My name is Richard, AB5JBV, and we are just absolutely ready, anticipating things that are coming up and just enjoying life in general. Let me introduce to you the technical wizard of our show up there in Arkansas, Russ, K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello and good mushroom to all of our listeners. This is Russ coming to you live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas with an undefinable accent for the evening. Um, okay. I'm back from wherever I just was. So that was like 100% Euro trash. Yeah. You took every European accent and put it all together and, and mangled each and every one of them. There so, you have it. All right. Well, this is episode number what? 92. Of Linux in the Ham Shack. Wow, 92 of these things we've done. Amazing. So, uh, how's life in Texas? I don't know. 92. I lost track at 12. So, if you say it's 92, it's 92. Things are just wonderful down here. We had a whole entire day of rain the other day. Uh, in fact, it rained so much that the following day, the yards up and down the street continue to drain all day long. Welcome break, though. It gets hot down here. You could fire ceramics out on the sidewalk most, most days in the middle of the summer around here. And for those of y'all that have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Actually, we've been up to all kinds of things here. Uh, we got some stuff to talk about and that kind of stuff. So, uh, how are things going? I can't even say you're in Arklatex because you're not that far south. How are things going <laughs> up there? In Arkamo? Pretty good up here. It's It's been beautiful for the past couple of days. I, I noticed that the temperature is going to creep up to about 80 again by Thursday. And then it's supposed to drop back off into like the 50s. So I'm I'm ready for that. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, go ahead. You got me eating, see? What are you eating? Oh, I have one of those little uh, Halloween-sized candy bars, Milky Way. Uh-huh. Caught him with his mouth full. That's right. Actually, I received a flash from the news desk that, uh, yeah, we had another earthquake down here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's funny how we, in the 50 years of Richard's existence, we never had earthquakes until a couple of years ago when they started fracking the county away. Mm. Mm. Isn't that interesting? But, yeah, we had a 3.4 earthquake over in Irving, of all places. Irving, Texas, or a little bit north of there. Not much. And everybody lost their minds. Well, 3.4. 
I'm not too worried about it. Deal is here though, and even where you're at, uh, I was I was reading some stuff on the on the uh, Noah website. Was it Noah? May have been Noah. And um, no, it had nothing to do with building a boat. Believe it or not, it seems that these things propagate better in this part of the country than they do in places like California because of the way things are set up. So three point four is like a five plus in California and that kind of stuff. However. Uh, I was told that my boy's uh, uh, roommate, that she felt it in their apartment in Mesquite, which would have been probably 20, 25 miles away. And uh, we didn't feel it over here, and we're just a few miles further away, so I don't know what was going on with that. Now, I bet y'all heard everything y'all ever want to know about earthquakes. Somehow I doubt that, but we are not really doing a show on earthquakes today. Well, propagation is propagation. That's true. And uh, there's probably a ham radio operator out there who's tried to figure out how to get on 20 meters via earthquake. Let me tell you something. There was a guy, <laughs> Richard Storytime. Y'all, I know y'all love Richard Storytime. There was a guy down here. His name was Byron Kirkwood. Brian Kirkwood was uh, really high up in the Dallas Amateur Radio Club. You know, he was he was one of the in crowd over there. And this is back in the, back in the 90s and everything else. And... All of it, I'm sitting watching a documentary on like discovery or something like that. And they're talking about, uh, earth changes and apocalypses and stuff like that. And I'd be doggone if Byron Kirkwood wasn't on that show. And he was talking about how the middle of the country was going to like sink into the ocean. It was like going to be pestilence and stuff. All the great plains was going to be underwater and everything. You know what? It's guys like that that prove the rule that amateur radio operators are flaky. Flaky. However, everybody's got to have a hobby. So, now we've probably had enough of that. All right. So, are you going to... Yeah, we're, yeah, we're floundering. <laughs> you know, we need to move it along. Are you, are you going to pimp the event? Oh, the event. Texoma Hammerama. Texoma Hammerama. I know y'all hate it when I talk about Texoma Hammerama, but it's time for Texoma Hammerama again. Texoma Hammerama in the Arctic up at no, it's not even that far over in Ardmore, Oklahoma, uh, October 26th and 27th at the Ardmore Convention Center. Y'all go on by and see it. Now, don't get me wrong. I know we have listeners in Europe. We have listeners in, uh, uh, Mexico and I know we have listeners in Canada land and up there. Don't know. This is not one of them things you want to drive across the country for. However, if you're reasonably local to South Central Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kansas, maybe North Texas, that kind of stuff, Texoma Hammerama is the place to be on October 26th and 27th. It's not a little bitty show, but it's not one of the big convention, national convention type things. However, you make your own decision. Pre-registrations in on October by October twentieth, so uh, y'all need to go check it out if you want to try and pre-register. Pre-register, and um, let's see, Ardmore, Oklahoma Convention Center. Uh, go over to the website and check it out. Tell tell little Henry I said hello while you're over there. Uh, it's http colon stroke stroke www.texomahammerama.org. Or type it in Google and you'll correct the spelling if you can't find it. So, Texoma Hammerama, be there. I love how you only pimp the Texoma Hammerama just because you like saying it. There's another event that's taking place on the 13th of October called the Augusta Hamfest, which is in Augusta, Georgia. 
So if you happen to be in the southeast United States and uh, you are a little too far away to get to the Texomahamarama, you might want to try checking out the Augusta Ham Fest. Um, the website for that one is at whiskey4deltavictor.org stroke hamfest.html. If you're feeling particularly adventurous, you could do both, I suppose. Well, the the thing is, can you honestly tell me that the Augusta Ham Fest is as much fun to say as Texoma Hammerama? Uh, no, clearly it is not. But that doesn't mean that the Texoma Hammerama is the best event out there just because it has the coolest name. But it does have a cool name. It does have a cool name. I will grant the, you that. And the truth truth of the matter is, the reason it gets mentioned every year is, is the fact that um, Richard's biased. I see. Because he know he's known uh, Henry Allen and his wife for years, and they'd work really hard to get this thing going in a place where there's not a whole lot of amateur radio going on, or at least not so much as you could tell. I drove all the way from uh, Dallas to Sweetwater, Oklahoma one time, and had the radio scanning the whole time I was going up there, and I didn't hear anybody on VHF until I got almost into sweet sweet water so uh they trying real hard to do a good job up there texoma hammerama be there okay well <laughs> i'm gonna do my little line here in the ether pad and then you can do yours because you've actually put some stuff in here this week which is nice i put stuff in there once in a while that stuff down there in the second segment i put in there right i know and i can't wait to get there okay but uh, I just want to say thank you to Scott and 8VSI, who went out to Ohio Linux Fest for us, uh, woefully under-accoutermented, because apparently all the stuff we sent him to do the booth with, he didn't get. And I haven't heard from him since, so I don't know if he's pissed off or what. So if you are, I apologize, Scott, but hopefully things went better than it seemed like at the time. Maybe we'll get a report from uh, Scott on OLF in the next episode if i can figure out where he went that was that o olf was last weekend and is over now so you have something in here about power supplies so what's that all about well actually i was going to say that uh, uh scott's still alive because he was on facebook let's see not too many minutes ago he shows up there quite often and i don't know why he ain't friended everybody else because he's in my friend list okay I just thought I'd talk a few minutes about replacing power supplies. You know, one of the things we forget about on this show, along with amateur radio, we tend to forget about that too. But uh, we we forget about the hardware aspect. Now I know a lot of a lot of folks nowadays they ain't interested in hardware. You know, that's okay because you know you get in a car and you drive it. Most people don't work on it. Uh, you get your computer and turn it on and use it. And you don't necessarily worry too much about the software and the hardware. Now, the folks that listen to us, I know they listen to the, they uh, pay attention to the software portion or they wouldn't be listening to us. There are folks out there that may be afraid of the hardware involved. You know, most of us have done something to our computers. We've added some USB ports or we changed out a hard drive, but there's a lot of people that haven't. You know, there there's those out there that are able to upgrade their equipment as unit. But anyway, when I got up today, my stepson's computer had quit. And it turned out that uh, it's been acting up for quite a while. And I don't want y'all to be afraid to crack these machines open. You know, unless you've got a warranty you don't want to avoid. 
But I went in there and he had unplugged it and then plugged it back in, which is the one piece of troubleshooting I've taught him. And uh, he still couldn't get it to come on. And I reached down, I plugged it back in, reached down, hit the power button, and nothing. The good thing is most of these uh, boards inside these machines nowadays have an LED on them. And the power supplies do too. So it sure eliminates a lot of the troubleshooting on this mess. So I cracked the case open. Power was lit on the board and the power was lit on the power supply. And I figured, well, it's probably going to be the power supply because as amateur radio operators, those of you who are ham radio operators, as you know, a power supply may have multiple circuits in it. And in the case of computer power supplies, they do. And so I went ahead and pulled the power supply and went out in the garage and pulled out one of my spare units, found one that had a power supply that was had the appropriate connections on it, uh, took the four screws out, went in there and screwed it in, plugged it up, turned it on, and yeehaw, there it was. Now, one of the things that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is number one, don't be afraid to work on these machines. If it's old enough that it loses a power supply, in most cases, uh, if you blow it up, <laughs> and I have blown up my fair share of stuff, if you blow it up, it's not a super loss. But chances are, the way things are configured today, it's not like the old days when you had to be careful how you plug the power into the board and all this other stuff. Nowadays, the connectors will pretty much not let you plug them up wrong. And if you pay attention while you're unplugging the old power supply, it shouldn't take you very long at all to get it plugged back in. Anyway, back to our story. I went out and uh, found an appropriate power supply with the appropriate connections, took the four screws out that were holding it in the case, brought it inside, slid it up into his Dell computer, which he bought from Dell brand new, and screwed it in, plugged it up, turned it on. One of the things you have to take into consideration is that when you have a computer that uh, has a particular size power supply, and yes, there are different sizes, it mostly has to do with power consumption. Once again, we go back to the amateur radio thing. Uh, even amateur radio operators can figure out or realize what that uh, you need a particular wattage to uh, run a particular amount of equipment. And in this case, I actually had to use a power supply that was... 120 watts less than what the machine was built with. Well, I imagine Dell overbuilds, and it's not going to hurt for the short time it takes for him to gather up the funds to actually get another one. But I want you all to remember, a computer's like anything else. And for us older guys, we remember back when you could work on your car in your driveway, and you always started out troubleshooting with the simplest thing or the cheapest thing and worked your way up. In this case, I've seen power supply issues before, so I, you know, unplug it, plug it back in, push the power button a handful of times to see if it's wore out, check to see if there's any kind of juice running through it. And if you got power but none of the fans will spin up, then it's probably a power supply issue. And in my case, it took about an hour, including going out and pulling the other power supply, to troubleshoot, pull the old power supply, put the new power supply in, and get everything buttoned back up and sitting on the rack. So this is a perfect example out of today, my daily life, uh, that you really shouldn't be afraid of this. And for those of you that are using older machines for amateur radio work and other things, you can build some fantastic machines yourself. Just don't be afraid of them. There's not enough voltage inside a computer to hurt you. 
Well, I take that back. Any voltage, any voltage or amperage can hurt you in some way. There's not enough in there to kill you. So don't be afraid to crack these cases open. And I found out they got some sweet deals on uh, power supplies over at Amazon. What do you think about that, Russ? I think that's a perfectly logical thing to say. Now, I will go back to what you said about Dell and their power supplies being overbuilt, and I can tell you categorically that they are underbuilt. And I'm talking about he had a 300-watt power supply in a machine that's running one hard drive, one uh, uh, DVD drive, and the motherboard. That's it, 300 watts. Right, and I'm sure it's more than enough to power what he has in it. But from what I've seen in every Dell platform, you can't load them up with peripherals because their power supplies are typically underpowered. And That's okay. I got a plan for him. I found a 460-watt power supply. We're going to stick in that bad boy if I can talk him into buying it. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. And uh, for the most part, like what you said, uh, most power supplies, as far as the actual physical container, most of them are the same. There are a few different ones, like Sony likes to be proprietary and stuff like that. But typically, they, you know, are uh, from a case perspective, they're interchangeable. You just have to watch out for the power output, so you know it's going to power all of the stuff that's in your computer. And then there's most of the universal ones have like every kind of motherboard and peripheral connector attached to them. So you won't use every connector that's coming off the power supply. You'll just use the ones you need. And all of the connector sockets, like on the motherboard and stuff, are, you know, physically coded, so you can't plug the wrong ones in, like you said. So uh, usually pretty straightforward to swap them out, and I definitely think if uh, power supply is your issue, you should not be afraid to do it yourself. Well, exactly. In fact, the uh, first machine I went to today, the older machine, and uh, it's got the four-pin plugs for the the drives and stuff like that. But uh, he's got a SATA. Not only does he have a SATA hard drive, he has a SATA uh, DVD drive. So I had to find one out there that had the appropriate plugs for that. But uh, when I got to the second machine, it like it was supposed to be. And I tell you, uh, yeah, I remember back when you had to make sure you had the right machine. You, you could, you when you plugged in the mother blow board, you had two plugs, and you didn't know which one went where, and you could blow a board up if you plugged them in backwards, and all this other stuff. But uh, yeah, most of the stuff nowadays, you really can't plug it in wrong. You'd uh, have to be drinking a lot more than Russ and I consumed to plug one in wrong. See, he didn't even laugh because he got his mouth full of Snicker bar. <laughs> it's Milky Way, and no, I didn't. That's about as much about power supply uh, replacement as we'll talk to at, talk about at this particular point in time. Uh, just y'all don't be afraid of it. A lot of people lose a lot of money because they're afraid of doing stuff. I was telling telling Brenda doing what I did a while ago would, probably would have cost one hundred fifty, two hundred, three hundred dollars had that computer gone to the shop and. Uh, cost me about an hour and a half in an old power supply next thing on the on the list here is we don't often bring a, a lot of non-amateur radio applications to y'all but i've been using this particular one over the last week and uh, i thought possibly we should talk about it a little bit uh the name of the program is imagination and it what it is is a slideshow program uh, it's for making slideshow video type stuff. The reason I'm using it is I plan on making uh, 
slideshow DVD for everybody around here at Christmas time featuring my grandson, uh, the newest member of the Bailey family. Y'all, y'all may have heard me allude to him or call him by name, uh, Ryan Glenn Bailey. And I found this thing was so easy to use that, uh, I thought maybe we'd talk about it a little bit. If y'all want to go take a look at it, go on over to SourceForge, uh, uh, HTTP colon stroke stroke imagination, imagination. That's the name of the program dot sourceforge.net. And, uh, you'll find some screenshots and stuff like that over there. And another use I can think of for this thing is, uh, building, say you want to build a, a DVD to hand out as a club pro- promotional tool for your amateur radio club. So you want to take a bunch of pictures of, uh, club events and stuff like that. And you want to set it up on a TV at a booth at, uh, your local ham fest and stuff and let it rock and roll. You can use this for that too. I found it was very simple to use that word intuitive that everybody uses mainly because I loaded the pictures in it and started working since I'm reasonably familiar with what transitions are and stuff like that. Within a few hours, I had, uh, all the pictures in order in the order I wanted them. It was about halfway through getting the transitions set for them. You know, that's when you fade out or it's something that changes the picture and stuff like that. And, um, you know, uh, you can get these pictures in, get these transitions set up, and get it going pretty well. In fact, uh, currently, this particular one I'm working on runs about 22 minutes and 46 seconds. In addition to that, you can add background music. The most obvi- obvious example to equate this to, I'm not going to use because I really don't want to add that neg- negative image to it. But you can add background music to it simply by adding an MP3 file. There's an area to do that. Uh, you just add the MP3 files that you want. And when the video finishes run- at the end of the video, the music will go ahead and fade out and quit. Or, uh, according to their website, you can go into something like Audacity. Figure out how long your video is going to run, your slideshow is going to run, and go in Audacity and edit your own background track. Now, uh, young Ryan is partial to the Gummy Bear song and some Elmo Duck song. I don't even know what it's called, but it's my intention to make sure those are in the background track at some point. But you could do the same thing with any kind of music you want to add to a uh, slideshow of field day, club events, stuff like that. Uh, it's in the repositories for the Debian distributions. I'm sure it's probably in the repository for the Fedora distributions. And chances are it's even in there for the rest of them. You just have to go dig it up. But uh, you're able to set uh, how long this, uh, how long each picture runs, the transition it brings it in, how fast, how slow it changes. Uh, you're able to do a whole bunch of stuff, add text, animated text to these pictures, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, y'all go check this out. At the very least, go over and take a look at the screenshots over at imagination.sourceforge.net. It's really hard to convey uh, something visual, a visual program over a podcast like the one we do. Uh, the best thing you can possibly do is go over and check it out. This could be a great recruiting tool for your local club. This could be a great recruiting tool for... Uh, some of you Linux guys that have groups out there to help other new Linux people getting started. Uh, I think this here is a real 
good resource, mainly because it's so simple to use. So simple to use. There's a lot of stuff. It's a little more on the complicated side that we talk about now and then. But this is, uh, I hate to start doing a pick of the week, but hey, this is the pick of the week. Imagination. Have you uh, spent any time messing with this, Russ? I have not, but I've been looking at it while you've been talking about it, and it looks like a cool thing. This might be something I want to use for future Linux in the Hamshack booths at various events that we do for having a, sort of a slideshow of different applications and different events that we've been to in the past and photos of listeners and all that kind of thing. Uh, I bet we could make a pretty interesting presentation out of it. This looks like a useful tool for for that and for, of course, a lot of other things. So I like it. That's the whole point on the deal. You know, uh, some people out there that are listening to this might think it's like a PowerPoint thing. No, it's not a PowerPoint thing. You make a DVD that you can, or something else that you can uh, play. In the case of a DVD, stick it in a DVD player and let that bad boy run. Whereas PowerPoint, you got to have projectors and laptops and all this other mess and and that kind of stuff. I'm kind of... I'm kind of gung-ho on this. I may actually start working on one for uh, the Aries thing because we're going kind of slow around here in recruiting, and we need to start getting out in the, in front of the public a little bit more. And if we can get some pictures of some of the stuff that uh, goes on around here, some of the amateur radio activities and stuff like that, we might be able to get more people in. So y'all go over and check this out. Uh, I, I really think that it'd be a good tool for us as far as the uh, – Linux in a ham shack stuff at shows too. So, uh, y'all pay attention. <laughs> and, uh, what else you got, Russ, on that? Uh, I don't have anything else on that because that's the first I've heard of it and I don't want to comment on something I'm not really familiar with. Well, grab it and play with it a little bit. You know, um, all of those pictures that run on the website, you know, they'd be a good place to start working with something like that. But, uh, anyway, so. You got one too, though, ain't you? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you should put up a, a video-related software pick, if you want to call it that, because I needed a particular video-related software package, and I came across one today that did what I wanted to do. This one's not about video, not about motion video anyway. Uh, it's for picture takers, photographers, as it were. And I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce this. Uh, it, I'm sure it's either Huggin or Hugin. And the Wikipedia article actually doesn't say, so I don't know. But anyway, it's uh, Hotel Uniform Golf India November, H-U-G-I-N. And what this I'm thing so is... I'm proud of him. What? You're getting really good with those. With what? The the radio call, what, or call words? Your phonetics. My phonetics, yeah. I'm so proud. <laughs> That's... Great. I've only been doing this. <laughs> only been a ham since 1993. I think I uh, would know something in 20 years, but. I know I know 40-year hams that can't tell you the whole phonetic alphabet. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, what I wanted to do is create a panoramic image. And what I found is that this software package, and I'm going to call it Hugin, just because I like the way that is better than the other way. What it does is lots and lots and lots and lots of things but its primary function if you want to call it that is to take a bunch of still images that overlap one another and stitch them together in a panorama and it will do this very simply it has a wizard so that basically it 
you click on a button, you tell it what images you want to stitch together, you click another button, and it goes through and pre-processes every image, and then it spits back a panorama. And then it gives you about 20 gazillion ways to edit that panorama and how it looks. You know, what I will say is that for what I wanted to do, it was very uh, simple. It was like three clicks, it took five minutes, and I had a panorama that I could, that well actually it automatically exported it as a project file, a Hugin project, and as a TIFF file. And then I went into the GIMP and re-exported that TIFF file as a JPEG so that it was smaller and I could send it on the web and via email and all that. That was super, super easy. But if you want to get complicated, if you're doing like high resolution photos or you are, you know, a professional photographer who likes to do like 360 degree panoramas and play around with all kinds of perspective editing and stuff like that. This software package can do all of that. And it looks vastly complicated if you really want to dive into it. But if you just want to stitch together a panorama, it's super simple. So I would recommend that if you want a cross-platform, and I'm pretty sure it was free, I didn't bother to check. I mean, it's free as in beer, but let's see, what is the license on this thing? I do not know. Well, it's it's on SourceForge, so I think that means it has to be a free license of some kind. Yes, it's GPL V2. It's very powerful, but it's also simple to use if all you want to do is create a panorama. You can find it at H-U-G-I-N, Hotel Uniform Golf India November, dot SourceForge.net. It's a great product. It did exactly what I needed, exactly the way I needed to do it. And if you want to do the deep dive, it will do that for you as well. You know, if you have any success or failures with these software packages, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. That's right, because we don't want to talk about stuff that don't work as broke. Well, it worked great for me, I got to say. That people will give you for free and they charge you to have a charge you to have a membership to get in to get the free stuff. Burr. We didn't <laughs> know about that. I will and say y'all that need to, y'all need to listen back a few episodes if y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Go ahead, Russ. Oh, I, I will say that this thing's under like seriously active development and has gone through many, many, many revisions. So uh, it's a super stable and super, you know, active project. Huge. And he's like at music. He just stopped. That's right. That's all I had to say about that. Holy macro. All right. Well, speaking of music, we've probably been running our heads long enough. What you got, Russ? Okay, well, I had some stuff that I downloaded a long time ago and never got around to playing, so I'm going to sort of unburden my archive here. This first song is by a group called Fall, Walk, Run, and the track is called You Are You. And this is kind of a folk, rocky, kind of, I don't know, sort of slow tempo, just kind of guitar-y, easy listening kind of track. So uh, enjoy that. We'll be back on the other side with... uh, Segment number two.
Hello, everybody, and we're back. I, I don't know why he does that. It's probably because I keep catching him with his mouth full and he's upset. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. A week or so back, I got to thinking about it. You know, I know we've got a lot of amateur radio operators listening and probably don't have as many Linux folks listening as we should. Well, I take it back. We probably don't have as many people listening as we should because of the name of our program. Linux in the ham shack. Well, the Linux guys, if they're not ham radio operators, they're probably not uh, picking priority picking us out. And as far as the ham radio operators, you know, ham radio operators, they give everything a fair shake, I think, I guess, for the most part. But you know, the, the diehard Microsoft guys, they're afraid of Linux. I got to thinking about it. Uh, there are some of you guys out there that, uh, are hardcore Linux users and some of you that aren't. Uh, that don't understand why we would mix Linux and amateur radio together. Well, there's so much stuff that you're missing out on if you're not an amateur radio operator and you're a Linux user because communication is what uh, amateur radio is all about. In fact, you know, emergency communications, finding new ways to communicate with uh, the same people you communicated before. But... um Used to amateur radio operators before there was so much corporate money thrown behind new developments and stuff like that. Amateur radio operators came up with a lot of the uh, uh, advances 
in communications that we enjoy today. And there's still advances made by amateur radio operators, but it's not like we have big companies financing amateur radio operators to do stuff like we used to. But there's so many things you can do with Linux in amateur radio. You know, there are multiple digital modes that you can use over there. There's, uh, you know, we do AX25 packet radio. We uh, use other modes that are run by computer to make more efficient, to communicate more efficiently as practice in the cases, practice for the cases when we would uh, really need to be in there communicating. And the kind of things I'm talking about is, well, it's no big secret if you pay any attention at all that most of the uh, police agencies and federal agencies and stuff like that don't have compatible radio systems. So a lot of times amateur radio operators are called in to be a uh, uh, to help pull those particular agencies together uh, as far as communications because we do have compatible radio systems with each other and all of us can be deployed. And I'm getting kind of far afield. I'm trying to plead my case for why you should become an amateur radio operator. Let's do this. We'll go about it this way. Becoming an amateur radio operator is easier than it has ever been in the United States. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you guys that have come in recently might as well, no, wait a minute. And I've been looking over the uh, extra test again, and it still boggles my mind that half of that thing is a test I've already taken. But if you go back and look at it, it is easier now to get your amateur radio license in the United States than it has ever been. And one of the benefits of that is that you have access to the new and upcoming frequency or the frequencies that the new and upcoming uh, communication technology is coming up on. Meaning that uh, even with an entry level license, once you get uh, up above uh, some portions of the VHF and UHF spectrum, uh, you've got unlimited use. And there's even off the shelf stuff that we can use for microwave communications. A good example is high-speed multimedia, and y'all heard me say something about this uh, over last handful of episodes, but, hey, it uses a regular old uh, uh, wireless router that you would use in your house, and half of the frequencies in that wireless router are on a shared band with amateur radio operators, where not only can you run it at its normal power output, uh, you can run it at the legal Part 97 amateur radio uh, limit on those frequencies, even though it probably wouldn't be a good idea because you'd be knocking birds out of the sky. There'd be squ- a cooked squab laying all over the yard. But the the I think it's the lower four or five frequencies on, uh, on some of these WRT54G routers I have are inside the, a shared band with the amateur radio operators. So uh, as far as pleading the case... It's easier than it's ever been. Now, it might behoove a lot of folks to just go take a look and see if there's something you might be interested in. The license is free. Uh, When you go to take your test, and there is a written test to get a license, it is a FCC-issued license, uh, which is no different than if you were in a on one of the commercial services or uh, the military has to have licensing, sort of. Um, uh Police agencies have to have license for their tra- their uh, radios and stuff like that. And the uh, actual license for amateur radio is free. 
unless you decide to get what's called a vanity call sign where you pick your call sign. We're not going to talk about that very long. But the test, of course, is going to cost you because these guys, you know, they got expenses to cover, and that ain't no big deal. But it's so easy to get the thing. Now, how would you go about getting it? Well, uh, there's a lot of ways to, to do it, to go about it. If you know amateur radio operators and anybody that's working in a, a technology field, there's an amateur radio operator around you. Somewhere there's an amateur radio operator. It may not be wide, out in the open, but I'll tell you right now, I can, off the top of my head, I can think of a guy that uh, runs the field office for ADP here that's an amateur radio operator. I can think of probably eight different guys I know that are computer programmers that work for software companies. Amateur radio kind of goes with these fields, sort of. There's a lot of people in these areas that are amateur radio operators. So how do we get a license? Well, the test consists of a question pool that is put out every couple of years. Uh, the uh, people who give the exam have to ask questions out of this question pool. They can't, there's a situation where they can make their own questions up, but it still has to follow certain guidelines, and it doesn't happen very often that way. 90% of the time, it's go, they're going to have uh, uh, testing materials that they've gotten from one of the uh, VCs, and there's only a handful of those around the country, to uh, give you these tests, or they've generated it using software that comes from the same place. First place you need to go check out is uh, the ARRL website. Now, I don't talk a lot about the ARRL. I'm a member of the ARRL. I'm a field appointee for the ARRL, but I don't talk about the ARRL much because uh, they've irritated the heck out of me quite a bit over the years, and uh, I'm not going to push anybody over there unless I have to. Now, one of the things is, though, there's a lot of amateur radio-related information on that website, and it's free to go over there and look at it. And they have sections on the tests, the uh, test sessions, where the people are having them for the ARRL VEC. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, where ARRL testing is going on. Uh, they have the question pools. They have information. You can buy books out of their bookstore, study guides. In fact, I have one laying on the desk here right now that, uh, you know, it's worth it to me to rejoin every year to get free books. And uh, this year, I decided to get the extra guide Q&A again so I can try and go uh, get it taken care of. Another place you can go to is HTTP colon stroke stroke QRZ.com. Now, QRZ.com, I didn't take the time to look around and see if they have a copy of the current question pool and stuff like that. However, they do have some free uh, amateur radio uh, practice tests that you can take at qrz.com. Now, I'm not going to mention some of the obvious participants, obvious places that you could go to something, because I really don't think that these places should be charging uh, amateur radio operators to take practice tests. That's just the way I feel about it. Every time I gave uh, license classes, the only charge that was involved was the purchase of uh, the study materials that they were getting at what it was costing me. So uh, anyway, QRZ, you can go over in any of the uh, license class levels. There are practice tests over there for that. Uh, go over there, take a technician class test. You know, a lot of the comp- components they ask you questions about on the uh, lower level tests are some of the same hardware that you might find in a computer. So it's worth going over there and uh, looking around, giving it a shot. 
Now, the third one that I want to mention is uh, HTTP colon stroke stroke www.ncvec, ncvec.org. At ncvec.org, you will find uh, a li- you will find list. Uh, well, you'll find a lot of information. But the main reason I wanted people to go over there is you'll find a list of the uh, certified volunteer examiner coordinators in the United States. Now, in my part of the country, there are uh, there are two VECs that are used most often. One is the ARRL. And the other one is the guys that charge too much money for everything they do. So uh, you can go there and find one that is kind of local to your part of the world and get a list of maybe where their test sessions are or at least get a lead on their website or whatever. The deal is with the uh, AWRL testing sessions, if their VECs are, if their contact VEs are reporting like they're supposed to, they should have a list of local test test sessions that they have on a regular basis. Now, uh, finding a test session, that's exactly what we were getting into just now, is that, uh, you know, you can get a list at the ARRL, you can check the VEC directory, or so, talk to some of these hams that are in your work environment. Or if you have friends that are amateur radio operators or no amateur radio operators, or get on the... Do a little research and see if there's a local amateur radio club in your area, and they ought to be able to help you find a test session. Now, I know, uh, I know that uh, at least the two the two v, VECs that are prominent in this area have lists of where their test sessions are, and you can uh, contact the person in charge of that and find out all the information you need. Now, in some cases, if you decide to do this, it might seem a little bit harder, but you want to go ahead and give it a shot anyway because you've got bitten by the ham radio bug. Well, in that case, you might want to take some classes. Local clubs can help you out with this. The AWRL website can help you out with this. I taught uh, entry-level license classes for about three years over in Mesquite. And, in fact, uh, a lot of the people that were in my classes are running the show over there now, so... Uh, I feel kind of full of myself on uh, on getting them started as far as uh, uh, amateur radio is concerned. But once again, let me emphasize, there's new technology to be had in amateur radio. There are new vistas of exploration, as it were. And it's getting to the point now that amateur radio and off-the-shelf technology are catching up with each other where we can take, well, amateur radio, in my case at least, has been taking old stuff and finding new ways to use it. And that's what we're finding with stuff like uh, the high-speed multimedia thing. Because you can take, like I said, you can take these cheap routers that you can buy off eBay for practically nothing and get them on the air and create a network that you can use to supplement communications in case of an emergency situation that you can pass video and text files and all this other stuff, just like you were on a local network. And it's the same way with some of the other stuff. Some of it's kind of slow. Some of it's really slow. But in our case, a lot of times, the slower that you send the information, the better the chances it's going to get through the way it's supposed to. So y'all go check it out. Uh, You know, I I mainly want to throw this out there so that some of y'all could consider it. 
And we are woefully undermanned as far as programmers who actually want to work on amateur radio stuff. We got a few out there. We got a few really good ones out there. But, you know, one of the up-and-coming technologies is uh, uh, D-Star, which is um, voice over a, a digital protocol. And, you know, we've got voice over IP and stuff like that, and we got people programming for this stuff. But the reason I brought up D-Star is uh, Dan, uh, I believe his calls KKE4DS, something like that, um, has written a program for sending emails and stuff like that over this new encoded voice transmission deal. Uh, he's also written stuff to program radios. He's done it all in Python. Well, Python's easy to get your hands on in uh, in Linux. We've got other guys writing other stuff. Uh, there's folks over at FLDG, and there's uh, all the stuff that Ted, WA0EIR, right, has going over at his place. But we're still a woefully undermanned on programmers. And this is a, a place where somebody gets their license. They want to start uh, putting some stuff out to help everybody out. we got guys out there right now trying to build distributions for amateur radio operators. Uh, <laughs> hence my earlier gripe. But y'all check it out. Y'all, y'all take the time to go check this out. Be open-minded. Don't be afraid. That's the one thing I find about uh, Linux guys especially those Linux guys that are ham radio operators, you don't got a problem trying new things. And there's so many people out there that's afraid of different something that's different that uh, they just don't know what they're missing. So I've run my head, Russ. Have you finished eating yet? <laughs> yes, a long time ago. Okay, well, I can go long enough for you to have dinner. <laughs> no, I'm I'm done. And you know what? I think I'm going to just let everything you say stand as you said it because I don't think I have anything I could add to that. Well, good, because I was like dredging down looking for stuff at the bottom. It, it probably sounds pretty incoherent, y'all. Uh, it's probably because I ain't been drinking. <laughs> so tell us, what's this? UPNP is totally insecure and awesome. What's that all about? This was something that came up a couple of weeks ago, or no, I guess it's longer ago than that now because we pushed this back probably two episodes. But I have discovered that a lot of the new satellite TV technologies that, that's coming out, like if you have a Dish Network or DirecTV or you have a TV set that has uh, you know Linux built into it, it's uh, part of the DLNA protocol and all that that uses UPnP, which, by the way, stands for universal plug-and-play, if anyone is not familiar with that concept. A lot of these new devices or new media platforms, Google TV and Apple TV and, and all that, are coming built in with the capability of seeing and playing audio, video, and doing picture slideshows from UPnP-enabled servers. Now, there's uh, lots of UPnP stuff out there a lot of your um nas devices like the buffaloes and the ones from iomega and western digital and all that stuff will have upnp servers built into them this is like really cool because if you have a local area network in your house and everything connected via wireless then all of these like you can have a linux server running MediaTomb. Or you can have a network attack storage device that contains all your video, audio, and whatnot. 
And then all of the other devices in your house that understand UPnP will have automatic access to all of these files. So like on my Dish Network TV stuff, I can actually stream all the movies that I've uh, got stored locally and all my music files in my music libraries and all the photos we've taken and everything. And it just does it automatically. Now, the reason I say it's totally insecure is because it is. This is a totally like wide open protocol. It's basically all your devices basically just sit on the network and say, hey, I'm here. I've got all these files. Come get them. And so it's a totally insecure protocol. You want to make sure that your network is uh, pretty tightened down so that people don't just have willy-nilly access to all the stuff, all these files. So, I mean, most of these things, uh, you know, ostensibly only work over local area networks, and they don't traverse routers and stuff like that. But you definitely want to make sure your firewalls are set up properly. A lot of them will, will reconfigure themselves based on UPnP settings, um, based on the advertisements and all that stuff. So you want to make sure that you're doing this as securely as possible and all of your stuff only all stays on the same network. But since all of these new devices that are coming out are all UPnP enabled and all the other devices have the abilities to see all of the media that is being presented, this is very cool, and it makes viewing your videos, audio, and pictures on just about every connected device on your network super simple. Just beware, because anything that's easy like this is going to be easily hackable as well. So enjoy UPnP. Love what it does for you. Just be careful out there. Ah, safe computing. We should all dip our computers in latex. Something like that, yes. Latex. I'm more worried about that noise that was coming from over there. Yeah, the cat. Updates was something. <laughs> Looking at the old clock on the wall, we have gone almost our allotted budget of time for this time around. Well, we've got to get to this feedback, though, because we've already pushed it back several times. So let's play some music. We'll do the feedback, and then we'll go. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess that means I've got to do some music, huh? Yeah, what the hell is it? Tell us what it is. <laughs> okay, this is an instrumental called Flashback by a guy named Matt Migma. And again, this one's from the archive from many, many months ago. But uh, it's a pretty good track. And uh, we'll be back on the other side uh, with some feedback and to close out episode 92. See you then.
it over? Yes, it's over. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, they just, like, go away. It's like these independent people. These guys doing the indie music. Yeah, we love y'all's music. We love it. But, good Lord, y'all need to give us a hint. So what have we got in the feedback pile? All right. Well, let me go ahead and read through this uh, long one by Pete here. And you can go ahead and uh, jump in wherever you think you need to so we can get through this. Because I asked Pete all these questions and he answered us. And then we've been putting off his feedback forever. So here we go. This one is from Pete, VE2XPL, Victor Echo 2, X-Ray Papa Lima, who is the uh, one who puts out the Waveguides podcast which is a member of the Black Sparrow Media Network. Excellent. And he says, Greetings, my fine feathered friends. Hope you are both well and also hope life is treating you half decent, like my family and I are. Back from our vacation, 5,000 miles, 5 provinces, 5 states, lots of Cheetos and beef jerky, and now life seems to be getting back to semi-normal pace. Kids start school tomorrow. I wanted to bring up a few points in regards to some of your comments in episode 88. You can see how old this is. Number one, a toonie is a Canadian $2 coin. We did away with paper ones and twos many years ago. It has two colors and is made of two different types of metal. Our $1 coin is called the loony because it has a loon, the feathered kind, not the crazy kind, on one side. So, Richard, you're not on the $1 Canadian coin. Too bad. Damn. I know. For Richard, this is number two. My ham radio hero is Alexander Graham Bell because of his life's work, his Canadian connection. Not directly related to ham radio, but his life and work inspired me to pursue communications as a hobby and later as a profession. Care to comment? Well, I mean, yeah, I was asking about ham radio heroes or communications heroes, radio heroes, uh, mostly because I'm trying to get some ideas for a project we're working at over to the website. And even though I acknowledge the contributions of Alexander Graham Bell to the world, to the world of communication, uh, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but he does belong in there because he did make some significant contributions, and I can see how he may have inspired a few folks, a few folks, to take up communication as a hobby or even a lifestyle. I just hope that uh, he's not lifestyling like some of the people I've seen in some of these hand fests. Anyway, so <laughs> what else? Okay, number three, and I'll let you go ahead, and I won't even ask about your comment on this one because I know you'll have at least something. Number three, not a big fan of Brad, whose music, I think, does suck, but he is a fellow Canuck after all. Perhaps a better name for the band would be Brad's Music Sucks. Don't be so hard on yourself there, Brad, old boy. Oh, well, you know, Brad is an acquired taste. He's like something that had I never actually heard it, I never would have gone trying to hear it. You know, kind of like, I don't know. That guy on the voice, the country guy, the one that can't pick a, never mind. Um, <laughs> Lake Sheldon, that's his name. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't care about him, but, uh, where Brad's concerned, yeah, first album, good. Second album, not as good. Last one, not real great, but that's okay because he keeps trying and the man does it all by himself. And it was good enough for Fogelberg. It's good enough for him. So, Brad, if you're listening somewhere out in the wilderness of Canadadia, please, please know that, that Richard is pulling for you. And take a little more time getting those songs wrote, buddy. <laughs> All right, number four. The Waveguides podcast has returned to mainstream multimedia after a summer's hiatus. 
As I had mentioned in the past, the once weekly information nets are now only once a month. The podcast will still be recorded, edited when needed, and added to the Waveguides website and, of course, Black Sparrow Media's site as well. South Cars has had trouble finding presenters on a weekly basis. The organization is strictly volunteer-run and the staff is quite small. A series of other nets will take place weekly. Please join in the fun sometime. And I have seen that there have been a couple of um, the new TIN podcasts, which are called Waveguides, that have come out over the past uh, couple of months. So they are active again. Yay. Okay, number five we can skip because that was something for us. Uh, number six. Oh, do you have something to say? No. I oh, was okay. just, I was going to ask if that's the same South Cars we got down here because my one of my assistant, uh, assistant EC has called South, South Cars down here uh, quite often, and I don't think I ever heard him on the podcast. But We'll have to find out. Go ahead. Yeah, South Cars is pretty widespread, so it probably is the same thing. Anyway, uh, Pete's point number six. With all these changes, I feel some podcaster withdrawal from time to time. So should you require a guest host for one or a few episodes on occasion, I would be happy to offer my great manly voice and awesome talents as a juggler. I promise I will have nothing significant to say and can assure you I know next to nothing about almost everything. But fun would and could be had by all. And I guess... Uh I we'll, think we should have more people visit us. I you think know, that's it's been probably a long true. time since we've done a roundtable. Uh, this is something we should need to consider in the future. But if there's any going for a ju- for the jugular on this show, it's going to be Richard. <laughs> Richard, Richard, like, I've mellowed some, and I need to get that under control because I don't like it. We need to find some people that Richard can be angry at. But that's okay. Give it a little time. It, it, it'll, it'll grow organically. Yes, it will. There you have it. Last but not least. Number seven, last but not least, I can never seem to find your email addresses for either of you on either of the websites, Black Sparrow Media and Linux in the Hamshack. Is it just me? Am I not looking in the right place? I keep saying to myself, it's probably just staring at me in the face, but still can't seem to find it. So I have to resort to QRZ.com every time. Well, my friend, all you have to do is go to the show notes for any episode of Linux in the Hamshack, and our email addresses are included therein. Pretty much the simple answer. I have an even more simple one. Okay. Listen to the show. (laughs) Yeah, listen all the way through, because we give our email address at the end every single time. As of tonight, we have given our email addresses and social network mess 92 times. 92. That's right. Not counting any time it might have happened inside a segment. And finally, I also have heard Russ on his first Mintcast appearance. Good job. I love cross-pollination between podcasts and podcasters. It keeps things fresh and interesting. I agree you should ask those guys to jump on board the Black Sparrow Media bus. Have you also considered asking Jerry Taylor from the Practical Amateur Radio podcast and Richard and Brady from the Low SWR podcast to join too? We will take over the world one podcast and one listener at a time. May the shorts be with you. Pete, Victor Echo 2, X-Ray Papa Lima. Uh, I don't believe we've actually approached Jerry and or Richard and Brady yet, but we will for certain. Well, I actually tell you the truth. I've been thinking about uh, saying something to Jerry, and I don't know if I've said something in the past and he wasn't able to do it or but it's run across my mind several times to see if we can get Jerry back on here. You know, when he disappeared on us last year, 
for a while. I was kind of concerned he wouldn't get back into it, but he is on it gung-ho, even though it's mostly mountains on air or some kind of stuff. But that's okay because Jerry is is doing his thing. He's got a fantastic show, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. Uh, okay. Well, at least I'm proud to listen to it. And where Richard's concerned, we need to get him on here anyway because we need to talk about Ham OS at the very least. And uh, probably wouldn't hurt to bring Brady along if his voice is quick cracking. Yes, so, that's true. We need to get all these guys on, and we need to see if we can get them uh, to become partners and members in the Black Sparrow Media Network. It would be great. I know. I've been busy. I know. Okay, well, there's a couple more quick ones I got, um, so we can go through these real super fast. Tell me the Ted one. I got the Larry one. Okay, the Ted one actually came to info, so you should have got it. But anyway, it says, hi, guys, is there a problem with the LHS podcast mail list or me? I tried another email just to LHS podcast at lists.blacksparrowmedia.net, and it bounced as well. 7-3, Ted, Whiskey Alpha Zero, Echo India, Romeo. Uh, that's our Ted who does all the TW, um, applications, TW, uh, TWQTH and TWPSK and TW log and TW clock and all those. What um, I said earlier. Yeah. What you said earlier. That's right. So I answered him and said that, yes, the mailing lists were screwed up. They've been fixed. He never bothered to try resending the message he wanted to send to the mailing lists that I'm aware of. But they should work. And he's in the chat room, so he may say something or not. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's that one. So well, I didn't know you was going to bring a mailing list one on here. I was, I, I did get that one, but it was like about the mailing list, and I don't know nothing about that. Oh, the mailing list is an important thing. You know, uh, people should go to the lhspodcast.info website, and there's a sign-up link on the left-hand side. And if you're a listener to the show and you're not a member of the mailing list, you should become one right now do it now and now you've hurt ted's feelings i did did i hurt ted's feelings said my bad oh well i'm sorry ted i didn't mean to hurt your feelings and if you go ahead and send that announcement out um we'll go ahead and let the people on the mailing list know so ted you send it to me if it it won't go through the mailing list you send it to me and i will make sure everybody gets that's i have to go knock on the door Okay, so the next one is from uh, Larry over at the at the uh, What's Your Madoodle Going Linux the Going podcast. Linux podcast. Yeah, Larry over at the Going Linux podcast. So uh, Russ, get ready. Well, you know what? You know how this is going to start out. Uh, it says, "Hi guys, hi Larry, hi Larry." It's been a while since, <laughs> since I sent you an email. Uh, this one is to say thanks for your great show. And to let you know that we stole your badger to use on our show. Huh. Our badger has been usurped. Uh, we'll, we'll give it back when we're done. Well, just make sure you clean it up first and give you credit in the show notes. With the flames we expect from the SFF, uh, SFF, no, S, no, crap, FSF members as a result of this episode... Uh, though when you get it back, it might be a little singed and that would be, he, he put a link in here for that episode. Uh, y'all, uh, go over to, uh, go on Linux, check out episode 185. You will hear, uh, the LHS podcast badger on the show and, uh, yeah, just clean it up when you're finished with it. 
Put it back when you're done. Doggone it. What do you think, Russ? Yeah, we, we try and keep our badgers as clean and fit and healthy as possible because we use them quite frequently. Yeah, we don't want animal control coming after us because we've been real good about dodging that bullet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, thanks, buddy. guys. I did listen to that episode, and they did use Badger twice. They didn't use my audio of the Badger that we used to cover up the bad words we say. They actually used Badger, me saying the word Badger a few times, which was uh, kind of fun. So uh, I guess it's better than Richard saying Badger. Oh, damn it. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to stop you from doing that. It's just one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's just one. All right. Grandfather's favorite exclamation. <laughs> uh, it's too bad we decided this was going to be family friendly at the beginning. Anyway. Um, it's okay. It's just a few minutes from the end. You can find it. Yeah, I'll find it. No problems. Uh, the last thing we have is a Google alert that showed that we were mentioned in a comment on a post over at hack5.org. And hack5.org is a very popular website for uh, technology and Linux and computing-based information. So to have us mentioned by a person who's over there posting a comment to uh, uh, something of interest to the hack5.org community, I thought was fantastic. So I, I really appreciate that. I suppose I should go see if I can figure out who did that. Should I not? I'm looking at the thing right now. I can't find no nothing. This is like confusing. I, yeah. just, I don't want to irritate them because they might have a following. Well, let's see. It was on a post about the Arduino, um, and it's down in the yeah, it's down in the comments section. I know that because I checked this out before. Linux in the Ham Shack is an audio podcast that covers all the Linux ham goodness. I've just recently got back back in. Blah blah blah. Uh, the name on the post is Jason, but there is no associated call sign. So thanks, Jason, whoever you might be, for referencing us over at Hack5.org. Appreciate it. Somebody potted. With me. All right, we're done. Feedback's over. Show's show's over. That's number 92. Almost in the can. Strange noises around here all the time. All right, I'm going to start the outro. Oh, okay. Well, okay. All right, kids. That that kind of brings to an end. Episode 92 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We hope you've enjoyed the content in our show. We hope we have not irritated too many people too many times. We've only said the bad word twice, and we said them real close together so that Russ can find them when he wants to get rid of them or at least paste a badger over the top of them. Please make sure that you covered our badger in latex, Larry. I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm serious. If you want to get in touch with me, send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or hunt me down on Twitter and Facebook. And I probably shouldn't push your Twitter so much because I've got a lot of people joining up over there, but I don't, I don't see a lot of it. Anyway, uh, y'all go ahead and check those out and we'll, uh, we'll see what materializes. So with that, Russ, give me info. Okay, I will give them my info. You can email me at info at lhspodcast.info. If you want to exclude Richard for some reason, I'm K5TUX at lhspodcast.info. You can find me on all of those social media networks out there like Twitter and Identica and Google Plus and Who Flung Poo and whatnot. Uh, I'm J.R. Woodman on most of those, except I'm K5TUX over at 73s.org. Check out the website, lhspodcast.info, for all the information you need to know about the show. 
All of our links are there, the RSS feeds, yada, yada, yada. If you want to call in and leave us a voice message, you can call 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Sign up for the mailing list. Send us a donation if you want to. Become a member of the show and get special access and free stuff from us. Visit us when we go to shows. Check out the upcoming events. All that information's out there on the web, and we'd like you to make use of as much of it as humanly possible. I think that's about it for me up here between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And we're just about to wind down episode number 92 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'm going to send it back down to Richard, who's somewhere with his feet inside the Trinity River and his backside in a cardboard box, who's going to leave us with these words of wisdom. Actually, this was, tonight we're sitting by the River Anduin fishing. And unfortunately, my buddy over there keeps mumbling about some kind of ring or something. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I'll find out from him and get back to y'all. We'll see you next time. play with that lizard you're gonna go blind <laughs>